Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Let me ask you something. How, how do you know when you're in love? Well, uh... What? I got a way. Whenever this one thing happens, I know I'm done. I'll, I'll tell you, but it's personal, and I, I don't want anyone making fun no, of me for it. No, no one's going to. Just go. I think I'm in love with somebody when I uh, wear a podcast with the other girls, okay? Oh, boy. God, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a line. Mayor. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Griffin Newman. Uh, David, wow, Sims. <laughs> this is a podcast about filmographies. Directors who have massive success. Wow. Wow. Wow, what a success. Wow. Made her. Look at the success. Melissa Villasenor. We're, of course, doing our <laughs> Melissa Villasenor impressions today. Um, directors who have massive success earlier on in their careers who gave a series of blank checks, and sometimes they clear and sometimes they bounce baby. Yeah, and this is a, what would you say? Clear or bounce on this one? Clear or it's bounce? Tough. It's tough. Right, it's right. It's a quarter <laughs> standing on its edge. Uh, this is one of the biggest bounces in history. Uh, yeah, great. Quietly, is, it does not get the recognition it deserves for how hard it bounces. An impressive bounce. Yeah, because this is one of the biggest money losers in the history of studio filmmaking. Um, you think so? It, you know, it made some money. I think it's in the top 25. Okay. That would be my bet. I mean, no one was, I'm sure no one was happy with the performance nope. of this film. Uh, we are hashtag the two friends, a competitive advantage, no other podcast has that going for it. We're connoisseurs of context, and we're also completists. Yes. Unless we decide we're not and we just, we just want to bridge. Right. right. But this one, we're, we're, it's a short career because he takes time in between, and this is his final movie. Now, usually when we say final movie, we mean, the most recent one they've made, and we assume they'll make another one. He might not make a movie ever again. I'd honestly be surprised if he made another movie. I think this is I it. think he would require too much money, and yes. no studio would uh, feel comfortable with it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. My, I could not... I could believe that after producing movies like The Edge of 17, which yeah. I assume were made for much less money than mm-hmm. $120 million. Right. $9 million, You know, maybe... He said he thought to himself like, oh, like, you know, the old magic, like I could sure. recapture it, but I doubt it. But I also think it's telling that he was a dude who discovered people and nurtured them and, and helped get their films made. And he hadn't done that in a while. And Edge of 17 was like the first time since the 90s. Yeah. That he like found a new voice. I would not be surprised if he just did more of that. Uh, yep. And that'd be fine. Uh, Probably be a safer bet. Yes. Some podcast I was listening to recently, someone was talking about auditioning for this movie. This movie? Yes. How do you know? know? The film is How Do You Know? How Do You Know? And the podcast is? As Pod as a Cast. No. It's the films of James L. Brooks. It's podcast news. He does it every time. It's classic comedy. Uh huh. Take a lesson or two. Podcast news. Canyon Jim. Uh It's good comedy. Yeah. Paul Tompkins doing the year-end uh, best of uh, Comedy Bang Bang episodes. Which I love those. Right. I listen avidly every year. Talked about auditioning for this movie. Okay. And he referred to it as James L. Brooks' last film. Sure. And Scott Ackerman was like, I think you mean his, I mean the most, most recent, recent one. Film. And he's like, I don't think he's going to make another movie. And he's uh-huh. like, what? And he's like, 
remind me, I'll tell you the story off. Mike. Oh, fair enough. Which it didn't sound like it was a scandalous thing, but that apparently, I, I think offhandedly, he, he might have said like, I think he took the hit of this movie very hard. And what's the movie called? How do you know? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. You. How do you know? No, I'm trying to find out what the title of the picture is. Monsters versus aliens. Oh, okay, got. It. <laughs> wow. One of uh, yeah, that's that's another one of three Rudd Witherspoon combos. Yes. The first was overnight delivery. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it was. <laughs> overnight delivery. What is Never overnight heard of it. No idea. Some okay. movie they were in in 1998. Yeah. A rom com. It was direct to video. Here they are. Oh, look at them. Overnight. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, it looks like it's a movie. Mr. Ben <laughs> is looking at the box art for overnight delivery. The Ben Ducer is looking. The producer Ben. Poet Laureate. The Haas. Mr. Positive. Mr. Positive. The Peeper. The Typebreaker. Finest Film Critic. Close personal friend of Dan Lewis. Hey, I'll, I still haven't seen Phantom Thread. Gotta do it. You gotta thread the needle. Yeah, you do, you do gotta thread it. You're gonna love it. Oh, Ben, gotta you get that are thread. going to love it. Because, I mean, you know, 2018, big goal of mine is I'm getting into fashion. Right. It, so, wait, this still counts as a goal? You're not just in? Well, I mean, I, it's more like I gotta design a line, David. Sure. Okay. You know? Okay. Like, so you I gotta got, walk uh-huh. the, 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 the runway. Last mm-hmm. year you got into fashion. This year you're, you're going to live in it. I mean, you're gonna make home in fashion. Yes. Yeah. You're gonna love it. It's kind of a Ben Hosley biopic in a weird way, right? I mean, I'd say I watch Phantom Thread and I go, like, this is probably what Ben's home life is like. I got a lot of secrets. <laughs> You sew them into the lining of the dress. You like your asparagus with oil or butter? Oil. Okay. 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 Right. Good to know. Okay. Good to know. Uh, he's a he's a meat lover. He's a fire detective. <laughs> oh, he's graduated to different titles over the course of different miniseries, such as uh, Kylo Ben, producer Ben Kenobi, Ben Night Shyamalan, Ben Say, Say Benny Thing, dot, 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 Ayla Ben's with the dollar sign, Warhaz, Ben 19, the fennel maker, <laughs> and, uh, and Robohaz. <laughs> Griffin looks right at me when he does this. And I he never does. break eye contact. Yes, he gives him a, a hard stare. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen Paddington 2 yet? No, don't rub it in. Okay. This episode's coming out in April. That's true. I will have seen it I by should, then. I shouldn't drop a Paddington 2 reference. We're All right, recording sorry. it two days after Paddington <laughs> came out. <laughs> wow. Wow, Paddington wow. made her. Wow. I'm the star of Dish Movie. I, I keep giving him like a list, which he doesn't have. Dish wow. Movie. Wow. I keep going into Goldmember. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you just want love I can gold. just do wow. <laughs> gold. So this is the most expensive romantic comedy ever made. Ever made. It cost $120 million, Correct. which is insane. Defies all logic. Now you go above the line. Brooks, I think, gets $10 million. $10 million. To write and direct this film. Correct. Uh, Reese Witherspoon gets $20 million. $15 million. Owen Wilson gets ten million dollars. Jack Nicholson gets twelve. Twelve million dollars. And Paul Rudd gets five. Three million dollars. God. Now Rudd got raked on this. He one. did, but he was not that as he was. It was still like kind of like oh Paul Rudd. Yeah. Like he was the exciting choice. People thought that this was this the ensemble. one that was going to fully push him over the edge to being like America's leading man. Remember um, them going like, look, James L. Brooks makes careers. I know we all love Paul Rudd, but he might now be the guy. He might be Tom Hanks after this. Some people were thinking this, but the hype for this movie was muted by a couple things. One, Uh that its title kept changing 
much like Spanglish. Right. And two Spanglish. Uh-huh. You know, people were no longer like, well, Brooks, I mean, almost always hits, right? But it, but it was like, oh, okay, he did, uh, I'll do anything, but then he follows it up with as good as it gets, which is huge. Like, yeah. maybe he's a guy who... I don't think people were, were quite as convinced that this was going to be a big deal. I, How do you know? It also, it took a very long time. Well, th- th- this is the point I wanted to make yeah. to you. Which is a lot of If the you cost. add up all the salaries we just said, yeah. that's $50 million, mm-hmm. you know, roughly. There's still 70 more million yes. dollars. Right. So you can say like, oh, the actors cost a lot of money. I don't see 70 additional million dollars on the screen here. I see right. two sets. Yeah. I see a street. Yes. And like one scene at the a Washington. Hose. They have to walk down that street a lot. It's a very wet street. That like the Washington Nationals have the, there's like the one scene mm-hmm. in the dugout. That's By one it. scene, I think you mean two shots. Yeah. Right. And like that's 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 it, right? Like yeah. there's it's not like there's like an asteroid hits Earth in the middle now, of this. Now, to be fair, to be fair, they did pay the sound mixer forty million dollars. <laughs> and that was because he had some it's very well damaging info. It's a crisp it's a crispy sounding movie. Now don't you could call him Professor Crispy. Do you think Jack Nicholson showed up and was just like twelve million for me? All right, you know, and then he was like but my barber gets a million dollars or whatever. You know, like he has a whole entourage and they all have to get paid. First of all, good Jack. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Meter. <laughs> Meter. Stop saying Mater. You're Mater with the devil in the pale Mater. Hey, Ben. Hey it's a holiday. Hey, it sure is. Hey, <laughs> we're recording on Martin, Martin Luther, Luther King, King Day. Day. Yeah. We're honoring the doctor, the yeah. good doctor, Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, that's what the whitest film about, ever. How made. do you know? Is yeah. this maybe the one of the worst films, like for for like an actor of Nicholson's status to go out on? I think, oh, like, oh, if, yeah, if he, he like goes out top, on this, that's right. rough. He's Oof. threatening to do the, the Tony Erdman, the Tony Erdman remake, which hasn't seemed to get yeah, a lot. I, of I haven't heard a lot of noise about right. that. Yeah, but but it was kind of assumed at the time, and because he had made movies since, he's not going to do anything ever again. He's announced intent, but I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being his last film. The other one that's very similar to this is um, uh, Gene Hackman, Welcome to Mooseport. Yes, but here's another point I want to uh, make. Yeah, Nicholson. Had he not done this movie, his last movie would have been The Bucket List, which right. is a worse movie to go out on. Then how do you know? Yes, a bigger hit. I don't care. Have you seen that movie? No, I can't. Life's no. too short. It's it's yeah. on the opposite of my bucket list. <laughs> right. What is on your bucket list? Uh, record an episode on the movie How Do You Know <laughs> on Martin Luther King Day. Yes, I'll cross that off. Yeah, I'm kind of done now. <laughs> I brought a large sword into the recording studio today, and I will commit seppuku. At the end of this episode. <laughs> um, oh, boy. We've said this in a previous episode, but this wow. role... Wow, Mater. Uh, this role was written to be uh, Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. They cast Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray famously never signs contracts. You know, you can't reach him. You can't get, You got to call the fucking toll-free number, all this shit. He doesn't sign contracts, so you never know until he shows up on set if he's actually going to show up on set. And like two days in, he was like, I don't want to do the movie anymore. So had he ever worked with Brooks before? I don't think he no. had. No, he had not. So I guess there's no like loyalty there to keep him like sort of interested. No, do you think it, he just was like this movie's bad. I think so. It, what's interesting is that uh, he signs up for Aloha around the same time, like two very similar movies. 
Sure. From similar filmmakers. Wasn't he also places. replacing someone on Aloha? Wasn't that role written for someone else? I could have sworn it was. Maybe. I, I mean, I know Aloha went through like three right. different casts, so maybe yeah. that's just what I'm thinking. Um, but he just doesn't show up. And uh, James L. Brooks, who had got, he'd gotten his friend uh, Jack two Oscars. No, I think Jack will always like, you know, right. uh, listen, you know, pick up the phone if James L. Brooks Can calls. Can you get a plane, please? I'm in a pinch. Help me out. He goes, buddy, of course, whatever you want. Wow. Just give me 12 million. Like, that's kind of a fucked up move. Like, yeah. your friend's backed against the yeah. wall. I mean, if you can get it, get it. I'm pretty sure the conversation went like, James was like, okay, but I can get Jack Nicholson. The studio was like, oh, great. Thank God. That's right. a great, awesome. That's yeah. so good. $12 million. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For yeah. Jack? Okay. Right. All right. Sure. I mean, because I assume the studio, Sony, is thinking he could win an Oscar or something. Right. They're like they're just sort of, they're just sort of dazzled by James L. Brooks and they're thinking, what? It's the big supporting role. Jack and, Nicholson. And the Even the old man Nicholson movies did really well. Like bucket list did really well. Someone's got to give did really well. Anger, Anger management, management departed. Like whether he's the supporting guy to the new movie stars or whether he's the lead, the Nicholson movies are still successful. That's true. So I think they thought like, look, I mean, we're paying him 12, but it's an extra 20 million domestic to have him in the film. Even about Schmidt made $65 yeah, million. Dollars. Right. That's a pretty uh, low key movie. Yeah. 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 All right, Griffin, let me tell you about WeTransfer. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm just so stressed out about my own creative process. I, it's such a burden on me trying to figure out how to Have you been do like my signing work. in and onboarding and using complicated file systems? Constantly. They make me do this every day on set on the tick. I have to log in before I can do a no. take. WeTransfer is about making the creative process easier for everyone. What? They built the site to be the simplest way to share big files around the world for free. All I got are big files. No sign in. Thank God! No codes. About time! No password you're going to forget. Make me sick. What is this? The Matrix Reloaded? I don't want to fight a password. (laughs) No, exactly. You just upload and send and you get back to making what you make. That's perfect. Such as The Tick. Yeah, yeah. Or or this episode even. Griffin, check this out. Since day one, they've devoted 30% of their ad space to showcasing creative people from around the world. From musicians to photographers to illustrators to uh, podcasters like us. Ben, we're going to skip the rest of the 60-second ad. Get right back to the podcast. Oh, perfect. It's WeTransfer.com. You make WeTransfer. Um, uh, I think it's it's pretty explicitly written for Reese. Reese Witherspoon? Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, that feels like, oh, man, that's a, uh, an actor who's been waiting for a Brooks movie. Sure. You know, she could use, she's got that kind of feisty Deborah Winger Holly Hunter vibe to her. Yeah, that's true. We're at a point here where the romantic comedy is starting to like dwindle. So other than big guys like that making them, she's not getting many opportunities to do. Well, yeah, what is here, her, here's her post Oscar career. Yeah. You know, cause she wins the Oscar in 05 or, you know, she wins the Oscar for walk the line, which is an 05 movie. Right. Rendition. Yeah. Penelope, which forget it, but she produced and has and a she small, has a small role. Right. Rendition, which is a terrible movie. Yeah. Uh, Four Christmases, which is a hit, but bad. Is ghastly. Yeah, but like it did just sort of like make money. All the Vaughns did really then, well until they stopped doing well. I know. And then Monsters vs. Aliens, which is an animated film. Right. That's it. She's kind of off the grid for a while. Yeah, which is funny because she had won an Oscar. Yeah. Um, and before winning an Oscar, she was such a big movie star. Uh, for sure. And then after this, she makes Water for Elephants and Jeez. This Means War. Right. Like she's really... 
I mean, I don't know if it's, she's picked bad parts. I know that one reason she made Big Little Lies is because she was frustrated with yeah. the like lack of good parts in Hollywood, and she was like, television just seems so much more friendly for and, female actresses. And she bought the rights to Gone Girl. And yeah, got she was going to make hired. Gone Girl, but then she decided, she, or whatever, it was Fincher decided was like, she was too old for it. Fincher decided he didn't want to use her. Yeah. She's still a producer on the movie. She is. But she bought the rights, hired Fincher, and he was like, hey, thank you for bringing this material. By the way, you're not going to star in it. Yeah. I, I do think she is one of those actors where it's like her genre stopped being a thing. Uh, for sure. Like yeah. you look at those mm-hmm. movies and they're bad choices, but it's also like if you're Reese Weatherspoon and you know that your Ballywick is romantic comedies, you go like, fuck, this means war is the closest I can get to my genre. You know, this means war was one of those movies where everyone was like, what a hot script. Who's going to get it? You know, right. like everyone was attached. Right. It was like, oh, is it going to be Will Smith and Martin Lawrence teaming up again? Is it right. going to be Seth Rogen and Daniel Craig? Like sure. they, all these different combinations kept on getting thrown out. What a weird fucking movie. Terrible movie. Uh, and then after that, she is in mud. Uh, Which she's really good, good in. in. And, uh, but, you know, af- after that, she takes sort of like a little while. But she has some wild, which is a wonderful right. She's great in that. Uh, she did the Adam McGoyan movie, which did not work out. Um, was that, uh, which one? Devil's Knot. Devil's Knot. Yeah. Yes. And then she's, I, I like she's her a lot in Hair Vice. Some yeah. people don't like the performance. I think she's really good in it. I would, I kind of need to see it again. And then she's been, she's been kind of chill. Oh, she made Hot Pursuit. Oh, right. Which we kept on defiantly. We talked about it in this podcast. We were like, we're seeing it. Yeah. We're going to be opening week. And then we like never, We're going to see it. We're going to have fun. And we never see it. No, we we didn't even think about it. No. Uh, And then uh, Home Again this uh, last year, which was so good. Great movie. Yeah. Did you see that one, Ben? No. Yeah, it was about nice boys. Uh, It was about what if nice boys. What if nice boys. What if uh, there were a bunch of nice boys and they came to your house? I've always and they lived there. It sounds always, like a work of fiction. Yes, indeed. Yes. It's a uh, transcendent work of speculative fiction. <laughs> I have always uh, loved her, and she's one her. of those actors I, I, who I, I, I feel like for so long. I think it's finally like post Big Little Lies, she's getting credit. But even as an Oscar winner, people are like, oh, but she just kind of does her thing. Like no one ever gave her enough credit. I think I I right. I got into her. Pleasantville, that I think, is Pleasantville in right. 98, right. for sure. I, I don't think I saw Fear until later. Yeah, then Election is one of the greatest performances. Election, but also I loved Cruel Intentions, yeah. although she's not like the most exciting part of that because she's yeah. sort of the wet blanket in that movie right. for much of the movie. Um, but that was like a, a big teen movie because that had Sarah Michelle Gellar in right. it. And we all we all went to see that in the theater. She should have won her second Oscar for Legally Blonde. She's awesome in Legally Blonde. That's 100% a nomination-worthy performance. Sure. And then that movie uh, shouldn't work. Okay. Yeah. I'm less hot on Legally Blonde, but she's good. I think in it. She's Blonde really good in roles. it. I think it rocks and rolls. Um, Legally Blonde fucks, as the kids say. It's been a long time since I saw Legally Blonde, but she rules in it. Oh, dude, you got to get blonde. Mm. And then she made Sweet Home Alabama, which is, in my opinion, just a reprehensible film. But I hate it. It did so well. Again, she's, she knows, she's good at, like, she yeah. can ring. Like a lot of juice out of very little. Yeah, but please murder that movie. Oh. Oh, that movie really drives me crazy. Me too. Um, um, and then you know the yeah, Vanity Fair, which is like her trying, I think, to make a more interesting movie and to work with a female mm-hmm. director. And the movie's like kind of boring. Eh, it's okay. She was supposed to be the lead voice in Brave. All right. Which was supposed to be a big deal because it was also supposed to be the first female directed Pixar movie. And they fired their female director, and yes. then the new director fired Reese Witherspoon. Right, and then the nothing else ever 
happened to Pixar to suggest that there would any be any kind of toxic work no. environment at that company. No, zero percent, zero percent. And uh, so that, great, super happy about it. Clearly, super the lady who got fired was just crazy, and oh. that's that's simply the end of the story. Well, look, I heard she was difficult. <laughs> um. How dare someone fight for their own vision, especially when the story is about your relationship with your own daughter. How dare you plant your feet in the ground and go, this is how I want to make it. Um, I I want there to someday be a full book about that movie because it's one of the least consequential movies of all time. And there's so much that hasn't been revealed about the process of it behind the scenes. So James L. Brooks. Yes. In 2005. Canyon Jim. He wants to make a movie. He spanglishes in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Maybe it didn't do so great. Ben he loves says, it. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And Ben Hosley loves it and he knows that and he's happy about it. It's a fun movie. <laughs> he decides my next film. So he's right away onto this next film. Yeah. My next film will be about a female athlete. Now this is where I got excited because even post Spanglish, he was talking about this like, okay, I, I need to do what I did with broadcast news again. I need to pick an industry and really dig into it and try to find out who this person is. No one talks about female athletes. And he works on this script for like four years. People said like, why did it take so long for you to make another movie? He went, I spent three years like following around female softball teams because I wanted to get in the trenches. I'm like, okay, this is the Jim Brooks that I love. He's doing the work. He's doing the research. Yes. And then he makes a movie where she never plays baseball. Um, Correct. Uh, She is a softball player for Team USA. Right. Uh, the movie begins with her being kicked off the team. Yeah. Now, why why did this happen, do you think? I can tell you. James L. Brooks, he interviews hundreds right. of athletes. Literally years on the road. Doing yeah. research. Yeah. And then, <laughs> I want to find the exact quote, because it's insane. And remember, this movie came out in 2010. Yes. So at the... Just in the mix of the churn of like the recession, yes, you know, right. and like uh, the ba- the bailout, right? He became interested, and God knows how, in the dilemmas of contemporary business executives who are yeah. sometimes held accountable by the law for corporate behavior for which they may not even be aware. How did he become interested in this in making a female softball player movie? But this is what cra- I don't understand it. This is what's crazy to me. Okay. You said, okay, right. So financial crisis, the collapse is 2008, right? It's like September, of, October yeah, 2008. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. This movie comes out December 2010. Right. I assume it filmed, uh, it finished filming in early 09? No, November 09. But still, that's okay. pretty crazy. Right. So it's like he'd been working on this. But then he reshot for, a lot of it. Right. Yeah. But it's like he had been working on the script for years and then he suddenly goes like, oh, there's financial crisis and rewrites the whole movie like to have two the, months. That's what it feels like yes. to shoehorn in this thing. And, but like how at this moment yeah. can you think, you know who the real victims are? Yeah. The people, the, the business executives who are being held accountable for corporate malfeasance that they may not be directly responsible for. Right. Where he's just like, what a story. No one else thinks this is interesting. Yes. He's like, it's half my movie. You know what? It's two thirds of my movie. Well, let's, the, let's, you know what? Let's let it take over the whole movie. Because the movie is a love triangle where one, uh, one, one party is basically not interested. Has no conflicts. Right. 
And he weirdly, I think he's. It's a little triangle where people, the people in the triangle barely meet. Right. You know, like, I mean, did Rudd and Wilson barely interact in this movie. There are a couple times couple in the apartment. Times. Right. Like a little bit. But um, he weirdly. It's not like Brooks and Hurt. Yes. Is what I mean, you know. He weirdly works the best in the movie. I think of the three Who? of them. Wilson. Oh, I told no. Rudd works really? the best in the movie. For sure. You know, Rudd's I love performance Rudd. is really good. Wilson's performance to me is just emblematic of what happened to him as an actor. Uh-huh. Just completely disconnected. Just, I, I don't understand what he's doing. In I, this movie. I think he's charming in this. Well, you think he's charming in this? <laughs> I do. In, in how sort of sincere. The character nuts. is a dick, obviously. Yeah, yeah, true. I find his performance kind of charming. But, uh, I gotta say also, the, the day we we're recording this episode, the RoboCop episode came out, and I gotta say, David, I'm pretty angry with you. Yeah, because you, you think just too short? No, I don't understand why you don't try to rein me in. You should try to invoke some discipline on this podcast. I believe the whole RoboCop episode is you being, oh, can I just say one other thing about Alvin the Chipmunks? Yeah, though? you should cut me off. <laughs> this is your fault. Um, I think Wilson, Owen Wilson, wow. Uh, wow. wow. Mater, mater, mater. Is just he the, his whole performance is just like he's just a loose and carefree guy. Okay, what? He's a baseball player. Yeah, who like has serial predatory sex with women? Where there's a whole room where they can like change yeah. after he doesn't want to look at them anymore. Yeah. He, none of that is in his performance. His performance is just like I'm Owen Wilson, the goofy guy it's from sure. all the movies. Sure. Well, yeah. I think that character should not be part of this film. I think there's zero reason this film has to be a love triangle because I think he there could be is, part of this film, but he could be a small part. I'll like at the beginning. I'll you tell know. you the germ of this movie that I think could actually work. And when I get to the end of the film, both times I've seen it, I saw it when it came out. Sure, me too. And we should say we thought we were going to record this episode two weeks ago. We had a guest That's who was true. in from out of town. Yeah, and then she couldn't do it. And then she couldn't do it. So we. Usually when we record episodes, we've watched the film within yeah, you're, 48 you're, hours. Okay, you're just saying it's been a little while since we watched it. And this it. movie sure. does not stick in the craw at all. In the, well, in the, stick in my craw means you're, it annoys you. Oh, this so it does stick in the craw. Yeah, this movie just doesn't stick in the brain. Right. It's not <laughs> a very all. sticky movie. Um, so we might be struggling to remember I'm some give, of it. I'm going to give you Owen Wilson. Okay. Like after Cars, post Cars. Right. Which, which is his highest grossing film ever. Sure, and but then Wedding Crashers is the year before Cars. Like that's when Owen Wilson is humming, you know. Huge. Um, you, me, and Dupree. Which can I say something? I've never seen it. Okay, not a very good movie. It's by the Russo brothers. From directors of directors Avengers, of Avengers Infinity, Infinity War. I don't think You, Me, and Dupree is very good. Sure, that Hammond said. If you have five minutes to kill, uh-huh. going through the quotes page on IMDb for You, Me, and Dupree is really fucking entertaining. It, why? There are weirdly good, good lines, lines in that movie. All right, sure. Because the movie is just a vehicle for Owen Wilson to say... He's the weirdo, right? Like, uh, Matt Dillon's the straight man and Owen Wilson's Right, and asshole. it's like, how does this guy make it through the day? And he just has all these bizarre opinions. The dialogue's really okay. funny in it. The all movie's right. not very good. Uh, 2006, well, Night at the Museum, but he's barely in that. I mean, a good enough... Sub- Uncredited. Sub- and he's in all three. I know. Yeah, I know he's uncredited, but that's mostly because he's 2007, the Darjeeling Limited. Now, this is around the time where Owen Wilson is publicly very depressed, right? Like, and he tries to kill himself at some point. Two weeks before the movie comes out, right? So there is a failed suicide attempt. Suddenly, like the public image of Owen Wilson shifts from like, oh, he's this carefree guy to like, oh, there's like a hidden darkness to Owen Wilson. That that movie is he him playing a guy who just failed a suicide attempt. 
Yeah, I know. And you and I have talked about, not on mic, but as friends, as <laughs> hashtag the two friends, uh-huh. how like someday we're going to look back at that moment and go like, oh, we all just kind of like brushed over that right. and didn't really acknowledge that Owen Wilson never really got better. I, I also feel like, like it's... Like he's got better in that he's oh, still he's alive fine. and he's, he's, he's sure. working. He's, he's but, with us, yes. But there's been a definite shift in him since then. Because after that, you have Drill Bit Taylor, which I think was shot a long time ago. Of course, my debut film. Yes, uh, which is a pretty whatever movie. Yeah. Then Marley and Me. Which he is... Big hit. Very good in. Never seen Marley and Me. I, I'm telling you. Wow. He gives the the dog speech at the end of the movie. Uh-huh. That is... My, 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 I just know that yeah. the Australian word for a poop that you can't flush is yeah. a Grogan. And he plays John Grogan in that movie. Sure. And I, I mean, that's just, that's just where my experience with Marley and Me ends. I'm a big Owen Wilson fan. My mom is also a big Owen Wilson fan. We would go see Owen Wilson movies together a lot. Uh-huh. We saw like Shanghai, Shanghai three New times York. in theaters. Right, yeah. He's got a speech at the end of Marley and Me where we went with Ram and my mom and I just both fucking lost it. And we were like, dead dog movie, who gives a shit? Spoiler, right. Marley dies. But there's the scene where Marley's like, not, right. Marley's like, you know, the fucking, oh, uh, no. I'm never watching this like, movie. Sure. Isn't getting up and he brings it to the vet and they go like, I'm sorry to tell you, Mr. Grogan, Marley has two hours to live. And he gives this speech that's like, well, is that, is that your diagnosis for a normal dog or for Marley? Because I'm telling you, this dog is unbelievable. And then he says all the things the dog can do, wow. barely hold it back tears. And wow, Mater, wow. Good. It's a good monologue. I did it when I auditioned for Juilliard. Are you serious? This dog here. No, no, I'd never auditioned for Juilliard. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about anymore. Wow. <laughs> and then in between Marley and me yeah. and How Do You Know is just like a little performance in the Night of Museum sequel mm-hmm. and voices like Fantastic Mr. Fox and okay. Marmaduke. Right. And Marmaduke, he does, of course, play the Duke. He got the Duke. Yeah. And uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, he's barely, he's got one scene. He has the one funny scene where he, like, explains the game, right? Right, yeah. but that's literally the only scene. Uh, yeah. And then this this same year, he is in Little Fockers, but that's, I believe, a small role. No. Oh, he's, it's a big role? Yes. Pointedly. I haven't seen Little Fockers. Pointedly, they were like, we're going to make a third one and make Owen Wilson, like, a co-lead. Great. He's a really fucking big part of that movie, which is weird. It is weird. They also totally redefine the character because in the first one, he's kind of like a wasp. No, I know. He's good in the first one. Right. And then by the third one, he's this weird holistic. No, that sucks. That's just doing Owen Wilson. This is the thing. All these performances are just, I mean, I haven't seen Marley and me. He's but it's just now. like Owen Wilson. What's he? He's a chilled out guy. He's a normal dog. You know, because it's like then the next year is Hall Pass at Midnight in Paris. Hall Pass? Oh, wow. Wow. Paris. You got a Hall Pass? Wow, it's Paris. Wow, got a whole Ernest pass. Hemingway. You got a pass you could Mater. go in the hall. Wow, Mater. And it's just Mater's like in the hall. Midnight in Paris. He literally goes fucking sent back in time. And he's just like, wow. Like it's nothing. No reaction. <laughs> I think he's very good. This is what? That is an obscene thing to say. I do, but I'm not going to get what? into it. I'm not going to get into it, but I think he's very good in that movie. But look, I'll for some th- reason, nothing Griffin has ever said is annoying. He's not just saying Owen Wilson is good in Midnight in Paris. I think he's excellent in that movie, but I also, I will say this. I, mm-hmm. I Maybe I'm just in the pocket for him. Like You clearly are in the pocket for him. Yeah. You just said you were a big Owen Wilson fan. Yeah, you like I, I like, noon I like what he's selling. And even though- What I, he's selling in this is no good in my opinion. Sure. It's no good. But he's definitely lost his edge. Like there was a point in time where Owen Wilson had that weird kind of like drawly stoner persona, but there was a danger to him. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. He he felt bizarrely, uh, he, had, he had a live wire energy. 
while still being kind of like super chill. I think his bit also just yeah, got run got into a the ground. Old. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm always rooting for him because yeah. even and in like Wedding Crashers, he's pretty. It's not like he's doing a lot, but no, I also hate that movie. It's an awful movie. Um, what, what's what's wrong with that movie? It's really f- like funny. The characters it's disrespectful. Are, you shouldn't crash someone else's wedding. What? No, I no, no. Come on, that's funny. Yeah. It's you know? just like, and then you pick up women, you know, and like yeah, it's really that funny. whole well, right. I mean, it's like, a very respectful movie. Absolutely, that's but just not what I of the RSVP. No, it does not respect <laughs> right. the, the RSVP. But so much respect for uh, women, yep. uh, uh, secretaries of defense. Yep, everybody. Isn't uh, that what uh, Chris Walken plays in them? <laughs> yeah. What I hate about that movie is that movie is a Walt Becker movie that won't admit it's a Walt Becker movie. Well, I think it does when they crash the funeral, but then they try and have their cake and eat it too. I think by that's being, the one section that's good because well, it fully except, owns the depravity. Right, of, but then it doesn't right. because then they're like, this is bad. And right. you're like, well. But Will Ferrell's the best performance in that movie. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Wedding Crashers is terrible. Uh, Big Owen Wilson fan. Wow. Oh, oh wow, wow, Mater. Mater. Uh, no, the other thing he's very good in, not to circle back to this, he's really good in Heron Vice. Yeah, he's good in that. It's the quietest performance of all time. He literally whispers the whole movie. He's fine in that, but that's a small role that's but playing I, on I think Owen that, Wilson's And I strengths. think that's a movie that taps into his sadness. I agree. They're not playing against, like, totally, let's pretend this guy's fine. To, that's a real performance. This is just this yeah. is just not. Right. He's just a guy who is, by all in, in accounts, a creep. Right. But he's being played by Owen Wilson, who seems to have no idea that he's supposed to be a creep. Uh, yes, I'll or say anything. I find him charming in this movie, but it works against the movie that he's charming. Because I know that part of the idea is he has to be charming because obviously, like you right. know, he's this he's this horn dog who gets mm-hmm. you know ladies to come to his magnificent Washington. Yeah, but but then there's no other side to it. You know, he never mm-hmm. finds it. His take on the character is that he's an idiot. Yeah, because like Owen Wilson's big moment in this movie is when he writes. You know, he writes his feelings down and it's just one line. Right. I, I got so angry, I broke a lamp. Yeah. I think that's kind of funny. I think that's funny too. Yeah. But like, that's as far as they take it with him. But who's the real idiot? Owen Wilson's character or the people who paid him $10 million to do I this? Mean, I'll take $10 million to do this. A hundred percent. Take it to the bank. Now, Paul Rudd, just to re- we're, right. since we're going through these filmographies. Yeah. No, because this is a movie star movie. This is about these these four movie star personas coalescing. Obviously, yeah. he's been around a long time, but then he's in like Anchorman and shit and 40-Year-Old Virgin, so he's bubbling up as this like comic talent. Wet Hot was when the... the so good. It, it, he shifted then because he was kind of like... Oh, yeah, he was, he was in... Clueless, but he's not the funny one in that. He was in things like Overnight Delivery. Right, and then he was doing like Neil LeBute dramas. Yeah, well, that's... No, that's, um, that's later. That's, that's after Wet Hot. That's 2003. Okay. But but Wet Hot is when he was like, I'm actually a big comedy nerd. I'd like to do stuff like this. And then Apatow brings him into the fold. They put him in Anchorman, mm-hmm. 40-year-old virgin. And now he starts to become this ace supporting player in comedies. Right. And then, right. And then I Love You Man is the first real, I guess it's that and Role Models are the, like the first two yeah. Rudd starring comedies. Mm-hmm. Their, uh, role Models is great and I Love You Man is pretty bad. I kind of like that movie. Yeah. But I'll admit, I just like, I like Rudd as a leading man. Me too. Me too. But don't like that movie. I like that movie. Uh, and then Dinner for Schmucks is the same year. I hate year. that movie. It's bad. Yeah. And then How Do You Know? But so this is the year where we're first seeing, yeah, like Rudd as yeah. an A-lister. Because uh, Role Models and uh, I Love You Man both did like 80 million. We're like really solid successes yes. for a guy who didn't have a proven track record. 
So it was like, is he about to move up to the next tier? And then these two movies flop. They now, did. of course, he is Ant-Man. He is Ant-Man. Yes. yes. Everyone's favorite aunt. Right. Man. But yeah. this, yeah. He said, because, but yeah, he follows us up with like Wanderlust. This is 40 admission. You know, it's a lot of movies that don't hit. Yeah, Wanderlust is really good, though. It is. Yeah. I'm just, I, I mean, box yes. office. Yes, yes, yes. No, um, those yeah. those all. They came together, which is hilarious, right. but nobody no saw. saw. But that movie's so funny. That's the thing. Like, at the, it felt weird to a degree that he was doing Ant-Man because it's like, you're a comedy star. Why are you going to commit to, like, this big lumbering franchise thing? But then it's like, oh, his leading man movies weren't doing well. Uh, he needed that kind of. I think you just take that either. Also, yeah. it's ju- it's just it's just so good. I just love that he's for your career. Ant-Man. He's great in it. Yeah. Um. But I think it's not like bef- like when Marvel was like getting it. off the. Yeah, I don't want to see that. <laughs> so what if I told you though that you, in, you, a, in a future spoiler? Do you know what happens in, in another America, Marvel movie? Civil War Ant-Man directed by the gets big. Shut up. Yeah, I swear to God, Giant Man. Yeah. Really? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Oh shit! Yeah, All you right. fucking love it. Damn. Now everything's different. Yeah. I'm going to show you a picture. He grabs Spider-Man like this. He like grabs him as he's swinging. Like what? That. Yeah. Oh my. That's cool. Yeah. Fuck. All right. Look, here he is grabbing War Machine. New yeah. take on Ant-Man. Look, look. I, uh, he's picking up a plane. <laughs> All right. All right. I like Ant-Man now. <laughs> big. That's great. He gets big. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now I get it. Now I get it. <laughs> now you get it? Yeah. Thanks. Here Thank we go. You. There it is. There oh, it is. Oh, damn. It was pretty cool when that happened. I'm not a big fan of that movie, but I, I like that. It's weird because you and I saw that movie together and we had such a fun time I had watching a good time, it. time because it's a good time. And it does not last in my memory at all. And when I try to rewatch sections of it on Netflix, it does nothing for me. Uh, yeah. The, the Tom Holland scene, I think, is still great. Yeah. In the, in the, uh, I think the, the little yeah. peripheral stuff and the sort of everyone's fighting each other is all well staged because Marvel's good at that. But, uh, that's not a movie with like a plot. No, that movie's fine. And it should have a plot because it has an idea, but yeah. they just, they, it, it's all in service of setting other stuff <laughs> right. up. That's I'm a little worried about, about Infinity War, but by the time this episode comes out, it will be a week away from release, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. So we'll know. We'll know. How will we know? Because you will have probably seen it at a critic screen by now. Uh, possibly Disney. Let's, uh, sure. Let's, let's, let's hold out hope. Um, so here's what I think the potential this movie has that it does not, uh, live up to at all. Okay. Female athlete is actually a really interesting starting point for a film because we know about these male athletes sure. who it's like burn bright, you know, like die young. You're going to spend 10 years just like pushing your body the limits, but try to make as much money as you can. And then you get out and you, Invest in whatever you want. You have a massive 10-year career, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you're essentially done in your chosen field. Female athletes, there's not the same sort of industry. I, and I, I like the female athlete stuff in this movie, how little we get of it. Right. You know, like with the group and the right. other women in the team. And But it's like if you're the best of your field in like female in, softball, right. there's a very low ceiling for what you can do. And when your career is done, you don't have that money to go back on mm-hmm. of like, your sponsorship deals and all these other things. Of course, things. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So it is like this person whose life just ends and she has no idea for the first time. You assume she's been playing softball since she was fucking 10. And right, and the idea you is You see that, it at the beginning of the movie. Yes, you do. And the idea right. is that she's in her late 20s, which Witherspoon was... 35? I Not that. She was like 33. Okay. Yeah, but whatever. Yeah. And right, she's injured. She's left off the roster. I guess she could maybe like rehab and come back, but the idea is like, well... Yeah, you're getting a little old, like, and you know, injuries if are it's comforted not now, it's back next from, year. Right. You cost a little too much money. We can cut you, like, all this sort of stuff. 
but very quickly, like the first 15 minutes, I'd say, right. are very concerned with her, her aimlessness. Her athletic crisis. Right. What yes. do I do now? And yes. then it's 100% thrown out the window. Then it's just, just dumped into a garbage can and we just don't think about it anymore. And it just becomes. And it just becomes about a lady picking between two guys. Right. So Owen Wilson is. Maddie. Right, this sort of analog to her, but wildly successful, yeah, super he's famous. A, a male athlete, he pitches for the Nationals. Right, and he's older, but no one's pushing him out because he's a star. And he lives in a weird, creepy apartment. Right. Where he has, like, the, the fucking Clothes. sweatsuit that yes. he gives away to everyone. Like, he has door prizes for anyone who sleeps with him. Mm-hmm. And he's grody. Yes. And they've slept together before, but now that she doesn't have a career, she weirdly starts considering being serious with him. Right. Because that her life is just going to be this relationship with this guy who she doesn't really respect intellectually. At no point does. She thinks he's sweet. He's a doofus. He's a doofus. His ceiling is doofus. Right. And they you say, know what I mean? Right. They say like, the sex that's is the good. Best. Right. Sure. But, but like, never, James L. Brooks and right. sex is No, like, that's the thing. She never respects him. It's not a sexy movie, though, because James L. Brooks can't do sexy. So but we don't even get that part. He's not it. even William Hurt in Broadcast News, where it's like, he's kind of glib, but the guy's got a basic, like, he's got bones about him. Sure. This character's a fucking moron. You're an idiot. He's an idiot. He's a goddamn idiot. And I think he's, Brooks is using him for all the comedy. Yes. Like all the silliest lines come right. from him. But, I mean, Paul Rudd does his own comedy, but Paul Rudd's comedy is more of like classic uh, James L. Brooks shit where he's frustrated and he's like falling over himself the and he's saying weird shit. Kind of person. Exactly. Right. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to Rylos. Yes. Um, but uh, the, the, the Owen Wilson character is just for things like the first line we did, you know, at the top yeah. of the podcast with the, the condom joke where his reaction should not be Oh, I guess I'm in love. Wow. Yeah. But like, what the fuck are you talking about? Wow. That's so mad. I broke a lamp. Wow. Ding dong. Okay. Ding dong. All right. Ding all right. Dong. All right. Oh. Hello, strange invaders. Uh, hello. It is I, Buzz Lightstream. Oh, okay. I'm Star not sure. Command. I'm not sure I've heard of you before, but okay. Hello. You don't know me. I'm the world's most popular action figure for people in debt. Oh, because Lightstream. Oh, they're Buzz friends of the show. Lightstream. Okay. Space Ranger. Uh, Buzz, are you paying more money in interest than you need on your credit cards? Because you can refinance your debt with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Have you looked at your interest rate recently? I mean, not that recently, no. Lightstream rewards consumers who have good credit with a great interest rate. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.49% APR with auto pay and no fees. Oh, I mean, Rex is going to love that. The application is 100% online. It's simple and painless. It's an easy process. Oh, great. The money is deposited directly into your account, so you are in control. And you can even get your funds as soon as today. What? Yeah. Well, I'm sure you already know this, but just in case, yeah. if you'd like to apply today and get an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way for my listeners, well, our listeners, with good credit... To get this special interest rate discount is to go to lightstream.com slash blank. That's lightstream.com slash blank. Buzz. Slash buzz. No, buzz lightstream. Buzz. It's lightstream, lightstream.com slash blank. You know what? I'll spell it out. I'll spell it out. Sure. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash blank. Okay, I can do that. I got to give you a quick warning. A little bit of a disclaimer. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes... 
0.50% auto pay discount available only when you select auto pay prior to loan funding. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com for important information about limits on lightstream loans and same day funding. I feel like I'm in a toy commercial all of a sudden, you know? It's like a movie Toy Story. So you've seen that one? The commercial. Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. My cousin's in it. Cool. Woody. Oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, nice to meet you, Buzz. Yeah, nice to meet you too. I'm just going to show myself out the door. Okay. Great. Did you know Reese Witherspoon did three hour workouts every day to prepare for this role? Like I, I mean, I, like to, to seem like an athlete. I know? hate watching this movie because of how much you see her wanting and trying to make it work. Yeah, no, for sure. It's not that I find it embarrassing. My heart goes out for her. She just there's just not a lot for anyone to hold on to in this movie. Like right, right, and yeah. it's it's also it's such a weirdly hermetic movie. Like we've talked about the weird devolution of James L. Brooks's filmmaking style, where he goes from being kind of messy to this movie, where it's like every single shot is so perfectly designed around how the movie stars want to look. Sure. Every outfit looks too good. The hair looks too good. The lighting's too good. The angles are too good. Like, everyone feels like they're just trapped in a little, like, style bubble. Who shot this movie? Janusz Kaminski. Janusz. Pulls a light. I hate the way this movie looks. I do, too. I I don't know. I assume he's, I don't know. Maybe it is his fault. I don't know. It looks too good, like you're saying. Yeah. And and it also, like, I mean, we've talked about anytime they're outside in the street, they've, like, hosed the, the sidewalk down Everything's so that they can wet. reflect lights off of it. Did you? It's a weirdly wet There's movie. a lot of hosing down. So the street and this bus stop are always like glistening with right. water. There's never a rain sequence I wouldn't the call it a slick flick. See that? That's but it's thing. damp. Yeah. It needs it's, to actively yeah. be raining or actively yeah. be it's wet. It's not raining. It's post wet. It's not slick flick. Post wet. <laughs> you can order a pizza, Ben. I'm hungry. You want me to? Sure. Yeah. Do you want like, I don't know, maybe like a meat lover? <laughs> I mean, just pep. You know what you they know, say about Ben? Just pep. He's the meat lover, meat love. <laughs> nothing he loves more than a meat lover pizza. <laughs> no, nothing he loves more than a lover of meat lover pizzas. Right. He's the meat lover, lover, lover. <laughs> You're right. That's what it is. His favorite thing is meeting a fellow meat lover. So he's the meat lover, lover, lover. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I'm hungry. All right. I'll. Uh, you want to go in on a pizza? Yeah, I'd get a meat MLK lover. pizza? All right. I'm supposed to get lunch after this, but I maybe have one slice. Oh, who are you getting lunch with? Uh, my friend Alex Perlin, congratulations. He has got engaged. Oh, good for Alex. By the time it comes out, he'll probably be married. <laughs> probably divorced. Yeah, we're recording. Hey, don't say <laughs> oh, that. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just making a joke about the passage of time. He's one of my best friends. All How right. dare you? Congratulations, yeah. Alex and Liz. The uh, other thing I hate about how this movie looks, and Spanglish has the same thing, is it is a movie that is so clearly concerned with uh, movie star lighting. Yes. That everyone has to look amazing all the time. Right. Everyone looks the same regardless of what environment they're in. The lighting on their faces looks exactly the same regardless of whether they're indoors, outdoors during the day, or outdoors at night. Um, it, which is infuriating. They're always glowing. Yes. It's like they always have a spotlight on them. I, I, so I, uh, uh, I'm not going to say what movie it is, but I was talking to Why a... Why won't you say what movie? Because I don't want to, this is maybe too hot. Okay. But uh, I I was working with a makeup artist who told me that she worked on a big film with a lot of big actresses in it. Okay. 
and that her job as the head of the makeup department, especially with a film with that many actresses, was to know their looks, to know how to make them up, but also know how to talk to that makes sense. the camera department to go, look, these are her angles. This yeah, is to light it. If you, yeah. if you put a key here, it's going to play against that because she's self-conscious about her jaw or whatever. And she said it was the first time in her career where they told her up front, hey, look, we're not going to light for the actresses. Wow. You make wow. them up however you want. We're just going to shoot it because we don't want to take the time to have to light for four different people. Sure, because there's so many women in this movie, which had never happened before. Right. And also people used to care about their craft. Um, and, and half of your job is going to be coming into the room with us when we're doing post and overseeing digital touch-ups. Oh, God. Isn't that insane? That is insane. And she was like, I've trained my entire life. I've been working for right, decades. Right, and now they're just like, forget it. Don't, don't even bother Come in and like, tell we'll me how to post. paint their faces. Right. Yeah, what yeah, do you yeah. want her to look like? Like, we'll just airbrush them in post. But this is like the opposite of that. This is a movie where they clearly spent so much time lighting everyone to a way that, a degree that is distracting. And do you know what they did? They had Owen Wilson on set at all times. And when he said, wow, that's when they knew they were ready. They were ready. And they'd be like, uh, Lights, move the light over there. Camera. Wow. Great. Great. Roll sound. And when he said Mater, they cut. <laughs> Mater. Um, <laughs> David's head is in his hand. I think that's funny. I don't know why. <laughs> I do too. Hey, look, Mater. It's, it's like Toe Mater without the So cuff. 50 minutes into the movie, should we like talk about it? Into the podcast? Yeah, into the podcast. Sure. Yeah. So, right. Wait, we, we're 50 minutes in? 50. How do you know? I guess we did like record for 10 minutes beforehand. Hey, Ben. What? What's up? I'm ordering pizza. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, Can we fine. before we get into the plot? There's just one last thing we have to discuss. This table. That's fine. Today. The plot's 20 minutes. Yeah, like tops. Yes. Yeah, so don't question. This is yeah. gonna be our shortest episode ever. Yeah, and we're almost done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, Not a short movie to be clear. Two hours no, long. Yeah, a solid two. Yeah, it's a a deep two. It's a dense two. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. a heavy two. It's like you're walking through like a bog. <laughs> Where you're like, oh, it's it's a short walk. It's only yeah. a mile. And right. then you're like, why are we still walking? Right. It's it's a bullia base. <laughs> it's a thick broth. Uh-huh. Um, it's always about the broth, baby. Um Ben. Oh, you gotta get that bone broth, baby. <laughs> uh this is the last thing we need to talk about before we get into the plot. Uh-huh. The greatest war crime that this film commits. The lack of question mark in its title. Well, that was very intentional. Intentionally dumb. Yes. I read a whole article in the New York Times, uh -huh. which was a really weird article that came out like before the movie came out yeah. because it doesn't have any quotes from James L. Brooks because he just won't talk about his production process uh -huh. at all. So it's kind of like piecing together like, what a weird movie. It costs so much money. Like, you know, they're sort of like talking around the fact like that this is such an unusual project. Yeah. And they're like, and it's called. It was, you know, many titles were considered, but it's called How Do You Know? No question mark intentionally. Uh, James L. Brooks's thinking. Yeah. I don't know. There was a New York Times article as well, I think a couple years earlier, about a company whose job is to come up with titles. Mm -hmm. And they, like, title most of the Nancy Myers movies. I know they titled Something's Gotta Give. Sure. Great title. Where the job is you like bring them the thing and they Something's look at it. Something's gotta give. And they're like, it's great if it's sort of, if it shares a title with a popular song, like things like that. And yeah, all like the titles. A, let, let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Um, but but the, all those titles that they come up with are these ones where it's like, that's the glibest, like nothing kind of fucking phrase to call a movie. It, yeah. It's vapor. 
How do you know? Yeah. Not Vaporwave. No. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. So the movie starts with Little Reese. Uh, well, we talked. We did talk about the first 15 minutes. We see her as a young woman, as you right. mentioned, a young girl, even. Yes. You're not going to go through Jack Nicholson's filmography? Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> no, so he was no. in that monkeys movie. <laughs> he wrote it. I know. Head. Head. You know why they call it Head? They what? wanted to make a sequel. And then the t- they said the tagline for the sequel would be from the people who gave you head. Ah! <laughs> the 60s, man. Uh, wow. Wow, man. <laughs> yeah, so it, I'm trying to remember. Is there anything to grab onto in that scene of her as a girl? Uh, well, it's, it's sort of about the competitiveness with the boys not taking her seriously. Sure. Right? Because the movie, if the movie has a thesis, and I guess it's in the title, yeah. right? It's like, it's hard to tell when you're really into something. Yeah. Right? Like, that's kind of what it's about. Okay, so I've, I've been dancing like, what, around this. What are your passions? I want to throw out what my germ, what, what I consider to be the germ of the movie that actually is interesting. Uh-huh. And the movie is so muddled and also I think poorly executed that it doesn't get it. But when I get to the end of the film, I go, fuck, I would like to see that movie. Okay. Here's Reese Witherspoon. She spent her entire life focusing on one thing, and now she's aged out of it. She's still a very young woman. She doesn't know what to do with the rest of her life, and she's going through a crisis. Yeah. Here's Paul Rudd. He spent his entire life connected to his family. Now his father's throwing him under the bus. Spoilers. And he's maybe about to go to jail, and he has to decide. Those are the two plot lines. Okay. The movie, I think, is interesting that does not need a third member, does not need a third member of the love triangle. Gold member. He loves gold. Smelting accent. Uh, mm-hmm. um, is what if you met the love of your life at the worst possible moment? Yes. Okay. And sure. the movie is like, like you're the worst. It's like a James L. Brooks rom-com about two people who are going through full on life crises. Right. And but get they the sense. Can't, yeah. They do like each other. Right. But they don't have time for it, but they do kind of like each other. Right. And is there something there? Oh, right. Now I think the biggest issue oh, with this oh. movie is that they let Reese Witherspoon get her shit together way too fast. Way too fast. And she, it just becomes... She never seems to not have her shit together. There's like two scenes. Right the, at the, the one beginning. where she has the party where all her friends come over to yeah. cheer up. Uh, uh, what's but, her name? Uh, Tiona Paris. Yes. Weirdly plays her friend. And Dean Norris plays the guy who fired her. Dean Norris is the coach. Uh, there's that other actress I like. Um, it does... Yeah. You, you got some good character actors in these first couple scenes. Um, Molly Price. Yes. Uh, who's great. Mm-hmm. And they are all kind of funny. Yeah. Yes. Um, Tony Shalhoub plays Uncredited. a psychiatrist. There's this weird scene where she goes to the shrink. Yeah. And it's like this very James L. Brooksy scene. And uh, then that just never comes up again. And you feel like that's the mode that she should be in the whole movie. Uh, and instead, in my opinion, you watch the whole movie and you're like, well, she'll never end up with Owen Wilson because right. she knows she's better than and him. And fucking sucks. Yeah. Reese is very type A. Uh, yes. And so that therapist scene is her going in and being like, I don't really believe it. I don't need this, right? This kind of like, I'm in control. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. Here, here I want to actually give you the psychiatrist line because it, okay. it blows my mind how this is not a, then addressed in the movie. Okay. She says, she's basically like, just tell me one general thing that you found over the years that's been true in a general way that you can just generally apply to any situation, right. which is a really funny James L. Brooks like scenario Yes, where she's like, I just don't have the time for this, but if you could just like give me like a really bottled line. Right. And he says, that's a great question. I would say, figure out what you want and then learn how to ask for it. And she says, those are both really hard. And that's like, you know, 
That's like a funny exchange. Right. But then the movie isn't about that at all. So why is that scene in the movie? Because it's, it feels you just like think it's funny. That's what like, originally he thought the movie was going to be about. And it should have been about like her, she, her breakdown is her going into hyperdrive. And yes. Paul Rudd's breakdown is him just like melting into a puddle. And the two of them meet in the middle and the movie is a series of them going on these bad dates being like, I think maybe I'm in love with you, but I also don't know if I can walk down the street right now without like collapsing, you know? Right. So she's in her thing. And then, right, we're cutting over to Paul Rudd as George Madison. Uh-huh. He's a very nice a hedge fund yeah. executive or something. I don't even, you know, whatever. Some but he's got a good heart. He's the one that they all think is a mensch. He calls Reese Witherspoon because his friend, mm-hmm. who is her coach or whatever, yeah. I think isn't, isn't his friend Molly Bloom. Um, Molly, Molly Price, Bloom, yeah. that's from uh, Molly's game. Yeah. Yeah, Molly Price. Uh, he's been, like, she's trying to set them up. Right. And uh, maybe Molly's game is what Reese Witherspoon's character should go through in it's this not movie. Molly. I forget. I, yes, that's, yes. yes. Yeah. She should be arrested for high crimes and misdemeanors. Right. No, she, she was trying to set them up. So he calls and he's like, Hi, I'm calling out of politeness, but I can't go on a date with you right now. Right. Again, kind of a I'm funny in a relationship. Right. Yeah. Kind of a funny James L. Brooks thing. Everything's so like, I. I, so labored. I love Rudd, and he is pushing so hard in this movie. I think he's funny in this movie. I like him in it, but I wish. I think it's because he knows the material's not there. Sure, sure. So he's just like putting some spin on the ball. Because well, I like Rudd can go way too big, like in a way that I think is very. What's a big Rudd to you? Well, what I'm saying is, I, oh, what, you're saying this is a big what run. I like is that I think he can oscillate between tones within a movie mm-hmm. that he's fine doing some scenes where he goes really large and other scenes where he really underplays it. Well, like there's this funny moment in this movie where he falls down the stairs and then just gets up and is like, don't worry about it. Right. And again, doesn't come up again in the movie. Right. Or like Wanderlust, the scene where he's like hitting on Catherine Hahn yep. is like ridiculous, is like Jim Carrey, liar, liar. Mm-hmm. But he also has scenes where he plays it totally like a real guy. And I think he can kind of get at like interesting sort of impressionistic things with his comedy that way. His character in this is a close cousin to his character in Wanderlust. 100%. It's the same basic idea. 100%. Uh, but yeah. I think this movie, because James L. Brooks is a little more grounded in what he's trying to do, he's like, he, he, I don't think he ever hits the right balance. I enjoy sure. watching because I always enjoy watching Paul. I enjoy watching him. He says, I can't date you. I have a girlfriend, right? Mm-hmm. And it just got more serious, so I can't do that. And Reese is like weirdly kind of charmed by it. They have one of those right, scenes she's where she's like, laughing huh, too much Okay, right. this bad phone call. And then he like goes into work and they're like, you are being investigated. We can't even talk to you. You need to hire outside counsel because you're, this whole thing is fucked. Yeah. And he, so you're fired. I'm sorry. Go away. And his girlfriend... Dumps him, dumps him and the only person who like sticks up you know sticks around with the him number is one best performance in this movie no absolutely Catherine Hahn who's 100%. so good in the movie so fucking good in this movie as his like uh, extremely pregnant secretary she's always good and we've talked about her a lot on this but podcast this was but- when you were like <sighs> fuck right she's not just like very funny she's an amazing actress like it yeah. was like yeah and this is when you go like God, I wish Katherine Hahn could star in a movie made by 1987 James L. Brooks. For sure. She'd rule in it. She'd crush it. Yeah. Today. A hundred percent. God, I love her. And she can do fucking anything. We've sure. said it before, but she truly can do fucking anything. Uh, and so we should mention that Jack Nicholson is like in this scene and his whole performance is just him going like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, it's just look, nothing. Yeah. Never rub another man's rhubarb. Um. Now, this is a movie where 
the urban legend mm. has always been that he had an earpiece sure. and they were feeding him his lines in right. the scenes. It feels like he did two takes of everything. I mean, if he had to join and the didn't cast, read the script. like yes. join the movie during production practically, right. I can imagine that would be the case. He's weirdly on autopilot in this movie. He's not even bad. He's just nothing. Well, because he's Jack Nicholson. He's always engaging to he's watch. He's engaging. But his energy is so bizarre and so overpowering that when he's not using it deliberately, you're watching these scenes and you're like, I don't know what he should be doing, but it's not this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs to be making some sort of specific set of decisions. Right. Because the idea they try to get at later in the movie when you're like, oh, that's what the character's supposed to be is when, when he has that line about like, I don't even know if I'm trying to manipulate you or not. That's actually a good scene. Right. Like here's a guy who's like spent his entire life figuring out how to use everyone to his advantage and skirt them while still seeming sympathetic. Yeah. And never coming across like the bad guy. Yeah. And he admits that it's actually just an automatic survival mechanism he has and it's not even a conscious deliberate thing he's doing. He doesn't make a ton of sense as Paul Rudd's dad. Zero sense as no. Paul Rudd's dad. Like Murray, maybe. A little know. bit. I don't know what Nicholson. A little bit. Yeah. Nicholson, zero percent. Like Elliot Gould should be playing Paul Rudd's dad or something. It's it's a bummer when you end on a movie like this, when a miniseries goes out but like this. But this is a blank check movie. It's such a blank check movie. So his father has made his son the fall guy. Uh-huh. But um, you don't get confirmation of that until like, an hour plus into the movie. And then it's this labored explanation where he's like, look, I have this like ancient like uh, offense on my record because I did something like sort of, I oh. filed the wrong thing. Well, isn't it like you bribed years the ago. sheik in order to like, he says the thing about, it's a, it's something about a leader of a foreign country yeah. where you had to bribe them in order to build a hotel or something. And he's like, it was nothing, but that means that I would go to prison for way longer than you would go to prison. Right. It's so labored. And it happens Truly an hour and 15 minutes into the movie. Because the idea is the second that Rudd and Witherspoon are starting to hit it off. Right. That's when Nicholson drops the bomb where he's like, you really kind of have to go to prison. Yeah. Like, sorry. Like, look, you can do it and you'll probably only serve two years. Good sure, behavior. sure. Whereas I would serve I will the rest die of my in life. Prison. Right. Yeah. It's so sweaty. It's cool. the definition it of sweaty. It is sauna sweaty. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That, okay, can, it is schwitzy. Can I can I establish a new term for the podcast? Yes. When a scene is this sweaty, can we just call it a steam room? <laughs> this Correct. scene's a steam room. Correct. Oh God. Yes. Uh, and it happens so fucking late, and but you know because the fucking father is played by Jack Nicholson. Of right. course, of course, the He's dad's slimy. responsible. Right. Yes. 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 Because the whole movie, Paul Rudd is clearly unaware of what he's being charged with but completely unaware and it's never made clear and this is brooks's idea of like wow these poor executives are getting charged with crimes and they may not even be totally aware of what was happening at their firm right what a situation huh what a crazy pickle to be in yeah and you're just like why would i fucking care about that and also if you i mean you could make a movie that is father son who work together father asked the son to be a fall guy sure don't make it the financial yeah, it's, it's just odd like it, like find a million ways to write this right but it, make it a fucking shoe store so that we actually give a shit about the guy and he doesn't he isn't the embodiment of everything we hate in the culture I, at that time. i also just hate it because like broadcast news doesn't have a plot like this like no. it barely has a plot it's just sort of meandering yeah. same with as good as it gets same even with spanglish like this Brooks one is, is bad like at plot 
Right. And this one is Brooks being like, you know, giving you this sort of like ethical dilemma, you know, where yeah. he's like proposing this, like, would you rather scenario where it's like, go to prison to save your dad or, you know, meet the love of your life. Like, how do you know? Right. I'll see you later, Mater. And that, <laughs> and then that leaves Reese's character in this hamster wheel of like, you know what? Almost is kind of a sweet guy. Go over, sleep with him. He says something dumb. Ugh, pack my bags. I'm leaving. Yeah, right. He calls. Yes. Okay, I'm coming back. Right. Like it's five different times that she leaves him and comes back. It feels yes. like. And every time she comes back, he is like slightly more self-aware, but right. it's the extent of like, I broke a lamp. And you every know? time she leaves, she meets up with Paul Rudd and is like, look, I don't want to date you. They start to They have these hit it funny off. dates right. where they're always a catastrophe. Like the first time is when Paul Rudd is finding out that he's about to be like sent to prison. Right. You know, and he's like, I'm sorry, I just can't concentrate on just you. And she's like, this is great. Be. It's fine. Yeah. Like we're yeah. both, we're both realizing something about each other. Right. About ourselves. But then like in every one of those sequences, Owen Wilson calls and she's like, fuck, I should leave. And she goes back to, oh yeah, she'll go back to Owen Wilson. He's like, I've figured it out. I'll sleep with less other women. And she's like, Ugh, other right, women. And she leaves you know, again. Like, yeah, yeah. It just like it's bizarre how little consequence there is to what she's going through in the film because he's so into the fucking Gordian knot of the Rudd dilemma. But then, right, and then, but this is the thing: at the crucial before he finds out about the debt, mm-hmm. about the you know you kind of have to go to prison. Yeah, is this that very long sequence where they get drunk together? Yes, where she gets drunk. Yeah, and he gets drunk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, that's where Brooks is like, okay, now let's turn on the Rudd charm. You don't drink to feel better, you drink to feel much better. It's <laughs> a good line. I mean, this it's, it is the kind of person who's the kind of person, it is that. It's just right. loaded with Brooks like being like, hey, yeah. right? Hey, one for you. Where did you see this movie? Um, That's a good question. Because I know exactly where I saw this movie. Where did you see it? I saw it at the Park Slope Pavilion. Uh-huh. It was the last time. It was one of the last times I saw a movie there because the heating was out. Wow. And so we went in and they were like, the heating's out. And we were like, This is a December release. Correct. And we were like, we walked in there and we were like, oh, it doesn't seem that cold. We'll just keep our jackets on. Like, it it seemed fine. You sit down. Then like 10 minutes in, you're like, oh, right. I'm not moving. Yeah. Now I'm cold. Yeah. So we just sort of sat there freezing through this long movie. It was a weird way to see this movie. Well, that, did I ever tell you about when I saw it comes at night in 4DX? Uh, you saw it in 4DX? You did tell me this. Well, not really, but what happened oh, was right. yeah, no, okay. I saw it at the MC25. The air conditioning was broken. It was literally screen 25, which is at like the top of a yeah, mountain. That's the- <laughs> and heat rises, right? Yes. So we were in a screening room that was totally hot. And that's that's a, a, a literally sweaty movie. It's a bunch of people sweating in a it's cabin. Quite, quite sweaty. And if you get right. the disease or whatever, it's even sweatier. You sweat a lot, yeah. right? Um, so in order to try to let some air through, they kept the door open to our screen. But there were a bunch of teenagers who were hanging out, hopping from movie to movie who kept on yelling. So that movie is just hot people in a cabin <laughs> listening for noises of people outside yes. who might be attacking them. So it felt like 4DX. It was like very experiential. And uh, you love the movie. I do like that movie a lot, actually. Interesting. Um, but I don't remember where I saw it, but can I do, this is vaguely a merchandise spotlight? Just what we needed. No, go ahead. Before I saw this film, I probably didn't see it until January because I was so... I wanted to believe that Brooks could get it back. And then when the reviews were so harsh, I was like, this is going to bum me out to watch this. Yes. Like, I would be happy if it was just okay, but everyone says it's like a fucking disaster. Yes. 
Uh, I went to see some other movie at the AMC Lincoln Square. Yes. It was five days after How Do You Know came out, and they had already thrown out the big cardboard standee for the movie. Mm. It was just like, fucking cut our losses. Done. And this movie had the most indifferent marketing campaign of all time. It, the worst posters. Because just... the, the title's a shrug, and the poster is just four different colored boxes with their faces on it with, yeah. like, no tagline. There was no tagline? I, I think. A new comedy from writer-director James L. Brooks. Oh, what a tagline. So it, the one photo is Paul Rudd leaning forward, getting the call about the charges against him. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just him on the phone making, like, a somewhat surprised face. Yeah. And the cardboard standee was like four cubes, four four-sided cubes, which each With of the images of the, stacked up yeah. on top of each other. It was a tower of how do you know stars. Yeah. And they had thrown it out. And I was such a big Paul Rudd fan. I took the Paul Rudd cube from the garbage on the street and took it home. And I used that as my nightstand. Uh, great. I, just the Rudd. Just the Rudd. Yeah. I had just the Rudd and I put it next to my bed. And that's where I would put my, my phone, my chapstick. This Whatever is, book I was reading. Sure. It was a garbage cardboard cube of Paul Rudd's face from the movie How Do You Know? But it doesn't say How Do You Know on it. What is which it is say? what I liked. It, it just anything. says Paul Rudd. It's just him on the phone. It just says Paul Rudd. Well, I have some breaking news for you. Sure. Uh, Seth Rogen attended the premiere with oh. his wife. Just going through some IMDb pictures. Sure. Jane Fonda was there. Oh. Who's this now? Uh, Janusz Kaminski. Well, how do you know? Um, the, uh, weird thing about that Paul Rudd cube, though. Uh, the scene in the movie, his t-shirt is white, and in the poster in the cube, it's black. Someone decided that that's what needed to be changed to market I the movie. I think we have to cut that out, or the listener's brains might explode. Don't you think? A little too hot to handle. Honestly, I think we need more stuff like this. We need to stretch this episode Mary Lou Henner was there. Oh! <laughs> and she definitely remembers being there, I'll tell you that This much. is just a wild picture of James oh, L. God. Brooks on and set. And Catherine Hahn looks so happy. So the best scene in the movie is when she gives birth. 100%. Right? Catherine Hahn plays... Paul Rudd's very, very pregnant assistant. Right. And no one at the company is supposed to talk to him. But she just feels so bad for him because he's getting screwed over. Mm -hmm. That she keeps talking to him and she knows that the father's guilty and sort of tips him off to kind of be looking. Yes. For the paper trail. She's also very pregnant and her boyfriend of a long time will not propose to her. Right. And she feels like, you know, a used woman to some degree. Sure. Um, so he gets the call that she's going into labor. When he's on a date with Reese Weatherspoon, and he, because we pretty much covered the rest of the movie at this point. Well, the movie is just them flirting with each right. other, and like you say, just bouncing back and forth. And the, the I need you to go to jail. The drunk yeah. scene is kind of funny, yeah. and Rudd is pretty charming, and mm -hmm. he falls down the stairs. He's charming. And, wow. Yeah. But um, I like the moment when he slaps his head against the table when he gets the phone call that yeah. he's being indicted. That's some funny Rudd slapstick. Yeah. Uh, they get the call. They go to the hospital. And um, he hasn't met the father. Right. Who plays the father? Uh, it's like a good kind of New York-y character actor. I forget his name now. Um, but uh, Witherspoon is with him, so they go to the hospital together. And uh, the nurse comes in and goes, like, the father of your child is here. Right. She's just given birth. The baby's on her lap. The baby's adorable. And then Jack Nicholson walks in. Sure. And Paul Rudd goes like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. And then the guy walks in after. Two comedy points. Not a bad mm, joke. One and a half. 
Nicholson's there, which is like, he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be in the room. And he's being really sleazy. And then the father comes in. Mm-hmm. But I think Paul Rudd's walked out. Oh, he's left the room to talk to his dad. Sure. So he intercepts yeah. the real dad coming through. And he gives him a camera. And he's like, look, I'm about to pose. Please film this. So then he goes in and gives this kind of charming blue collar yes. speech about, look, the reason I never posed oh, is to it, you. Is it Lenny Venito? I think it is, It right? is. It's Lenny Venito. Yes. yes, that's right. Yes. Of course it is. Yes. The great Lenny Venito. Right. We yes. saw this movie two weeks ago. None of it sticks. Um, <laughs> I knew he was in it. I just couldn't remember what part he played. Because Dominic yeah. Lombardazzi plays the, the condom pitcher. <laughs> and like Dominic Lombardazzi and Lenny Venito are, they're not interchangeable, yeah. but they're, you know, they play blue collar guys. Condom pitcher evokes a, a good in, mental image. Yeah. How do you know? Um, Ben's playing Worm on a Nokia 3330. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is he playing Worms or is he playing Snake? Snakes. Okay. Sorry. Do you remember Worms? Yeah. The game where you're like the military yeah, Worms. Yeah, yeah, you gotta great. attack other Worms. Holy Hand Grenade. Yeah. It's a great game. Play that do you remember that game? Lunch in middle I school. Don't. Do you remember Earthworm Jim though? Of course. Hells, yeah. That was guy. a cool game. The Earthworm Jim was, was sort really of like a fun. close cousin to the tick in my brain when I was a kid. Very similar. Yeah. Very similar kind of vibes. Here's a major difference between Earthworm Jim and the tick. Uh, Doug Tenaple, who created Earthworm Jim, very interesting art style, hates women oh, and great. gay people. Oh, he sounds fun. Very outspoken. Ugh. Ugh. Yep. How do you know that? How do you know? Wow. Because I'm an Earthworm Jim. Okay. Uh, Earthworm Jim was cool. He did all those like claymation video games. There was another one he did that was good. Uh, doesn't like people who aren't exactly like him, which is pretty. You know. Oh, so you're gonna judge that? You're not gonna judge a an earthworm wearing a spacesuit? Um, talk about someone trying to steal our jobs. Why does an earthworm need limbs? What's he trying to do? What's he trying to take away from me? The Neverhood. That's a video game. Yeah, it's Skull good. Monkey. Yeah. Um, so Lenny Venito gives this speech that's like, you know, the thesis is the reason I never proposed to you isn't because I didn't love you. It's because I thought you were too good for me. I didn't want to see you have to settle for a jamoke like me. Right. And it's very touching. And Catherine Hahn's fucking reactions are unbelievable. Just like really <sighs> it's kind just, of fucking it's a very effortless, specific. powerful, heartfelt scene in the middle of a movie that does not seem like no. it's going to have one of these. And then Paul Rudd realizes that he wasn't. He wasn't filming it, which I think is funny. And they have to restage it. And Lenny Venito is not a very good actor. The character, he's a great actor. He's a great actor, but he does a great performance of a guy trying to restage the magic. And Catherine Hahn's reactions are too big, and it's a very nice trying scene. I think that's a good scene, and the idea of this, and that that's it's sort of like We Bought a Zoo, which is a better movie than this movie, right? But same kind of vibe where like We Bought a Zoo has moments where you're like. Oh, I get it. I think I am into this yeah. movie now. We bought a zoo has more of them. It does. But, and, and, and the but bad the moments moment are, goes, are less egregious than the bad moments in this movie. Sure. But I agree. Yes, I agree you with know, you. know, and then it goes and you're like, oh, no, maybe not. But like right. that, in that moment, you're like, right, this is about figuring out like the, the, the weird magic of figuring out like what you want in life. That's a, there are 15 second and stretches they're, they're of this movie where he's cooking watching the gas. this guy yeah. f- have just total certitude about like, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And then the other moment I actually, my, my favorite kind of like pure comedic bit in this movie yeah. is after this, when they walk out of the hospital and Paul Rudd's waiting for the bus to go home and you are waiting for them to have a heartfelt talk before the bus comes. Sure. And then the bus comes like immediately. Right. And he's That's like, funny. you know what? I'll let this one go. And then another bus comes immediately. Right. He keeps on trying to like wait for the next bus, thinking he'll have like a five minute stretch. 
and there are too many buses. And then he gets on the bus, and then doesn't he? No, she gets on the bus, and he runs after her. Is that what happens? Um, the, the bit, the bit with the buses is funny. Yeah. I like it. Whatever. I don't know. It's, it's funny. Who cares? And <laughs> she, but the idea is when she watches this, mm-hmm. she's like, I maybe I should settle down with someone. Like, you know what I mean? Like she watches this uh, emotional proposal. Right. And she goes to Maddie and Maddie's like, wow. Wow. And she's like, oh, nope, still not into it. You know what I mean? She keeps like flirting with the idea and then so he lets her down. Luigi, Doc Hudson. Meanwhile, <laughs> Paul Rudd says to Nicholson like, okay, I'll go to jail. Um, if. If she'll be with me. Right. Yeah, I think what you present to me makes sense. It is the right thing to do for me to take the hit so that you don't have to die in jail. But she, Unless you've met the person you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with, in which case it would be criminal not to live that life. So I'm going to ask her. Right. And you better hope that she says no. Um, so he like confesses his like love for her. And what's the gift he gives her again? I don't know. He gives her a gift. We should rewatch this movie. Oh, it's the Play-Doh fucking oh, thing. God. Oh, God. <laughs> this movie's dumb. <laughs> ben, why'd you make us watch ben. this? I didn't make you watch this. Why did this? you write and direct this movie, Ben? <laughs> why did you make her watch this? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. How do we know? We don't. I don't know. He we goes don't. to jail. Or doesn't he? I don't know. Well, she at the end of the movie, she walks out. After she him. walks out after Gives him. Gives the Play-Doh and says, you know, they thought they were making this and they ended up being the most successful toy. And sometimes the thing is it's not what It's another fucking Brooks. Like, he like read some Encyclopedia Britannica entry. Kind of a person is kind of a person. And then... <laughs> and she goes out to see him and then you, like, the, the last shot is them getting on the bus together and it's sort of like, did he, well, did she wait for him or did Nicholson go to the slammer like who knows how do you know we don't know how did this cost 120 million dollars here's the bigger question who gives a shit why did it cost 120 million dollars well after the 50 million dollars spent on the above the line talent he just took fucking forever to shoot this movie and did like three separate extended reshoot sessions yeah of like a couple weeks or a month or whatever and then spent like a year editing it he kept on editing it going back reshooting for another couple weeks going back he said they shot the ending like four times because they couldn't find a satisfying ending. Well, I'm glad you finally found one, Jim. What the other fucking endings look like? This is your idea of finally cracking a satisfying ending? This is, these are all fair complaints. Do you want to play a box office game? Yeah. Hey, I'll say this before okay. we wrap up. Yay. I think this, if, this movie should have been Catherine Hahn's character. 100%. Movie. That's interesting. Sure. Right? right. Yeah, Catherine Hahn's character is really interesting. Or a movie of the dynamic between Reese Witherspoon and Paul Rudd in which the two of them were actual characters that made sense. Right. Also, his movies start becoming all these people in these ivory towers who are harder to relate to. They're impossible. Yeah. I mean, so it's, Hunt, it's the same feels, problem with Spanglish right. where it's just like, why the fuck would I ever care about these Catherine Hahn feels like a real person. I mean, it's literally like Owen Wilson lives in the penthouse of this gold building. Oh, I hate that fucking doorman character too. Bad. Where anytime he like sees Paul Rudd, they like always... It's a movie where they always need to cut to a reaction shot of someone smiling to let the audience know that it's charming. Mm-hmm. Like, in case you didn't get it, the characters are charmed by what's going on in this movie. And it's like, fucking eat two turds. Um, I, have, two turds I have some news toilet, for you. Adam. Saudi Arabia, you know, Saudi Arabia recently lifted its 35-year ban on cinema. Yes, I know the first movie they released. What was it? The Emoji Movie. Correct. So cinema is over. R.I.P. had a good run. This movie cost $120 million to make. Mm-hmm. 
it grossed? 22? $30 million. A little better than I thought. And it worldwide total, $48 million. Not good. Not the best. No good, very bad. Don't do it. This movie opened on eight screens. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. On 2,400 screens. There I'm we sorry. Are. Yeah, thank you. In eighth place uh-huh. <laughs> on January 7th, uh, December 17th, 2010. Now, the thing about releasing a movie the week before Christmas yeah. is oftentimes... Mad Rush, six movies come out. You can open really low, but then you multiply like crazy because over the holidays, people see weird stuff. Greatest Showman recently opened to 10. People were like, fucking done. Bury it. Is now a huge hit. It's now at 98 on MLK. No, 95 on MLK Weekend. Yeah. It, it's going to cross 100. Yeah. Easy. Easy. Century. It dropped 9% this weekend. It went up the second weekend. I know. Uh, so how do you how know? How do I know? Box Office Mojo. You can look it up. Made it. <laughs> So I think, how do you know they were like, okay, not a great opening, but maybe we'll multiply. They did not. Uh, no. This movie no, just... Not at all. Right, yeah. I believe um, The Greatest Showman now has the biggest multiplier of any wide release in the history of movies apart from Titanic, which is crazy. Yeah. It has yeah. a 12 multiplier right yeah. now. And it's no signs of slowing down. It's doing, Well, I think there's some It's starting to slow down, but it's still it's going to end up like 115, 120. Yeah, it's, it did great which and good for you, I guess. Uh, yeah. Paddington uh, opened number seven. I'm a little annoyed about that, but especially because I mean, the first Paddington did well. Here. I know, but those movies, a, a weird weekend for it to come out in a lot of ways. It I came think out, that was the same weekend the first. Yeah, one but out. America didn't have Jumanji feature at that time. Everyone's flipping out for Jumanji. Jumanji is a colossal hit. Jumanji will be by the time this episode comes out the highest grossing film that Sony has ever released that doesn't star Spider Man. Correct. I'm sorry, Spider Man. Yes. Like people were like. um, Oh, well, you know, Star Wars The Last Jedi, maybe yeah. we predicted it. Well, no one fucking saw Jumanji coming. This is the thing. Yeah. Who would have ever pointed at the schedule and been like, well, Jumanji's an easy 300 million grosser. Yeah. Jumanji. Like, Welcome yeah. to the jungle? Yeah. Welcome to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> David, five comedy. Five. Thanks. That's the best joke I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> you sure about that? Yeah, number one with a bullet. Um, Oh, okay, boy. so this is December 17th, 2010. 2010. Number one uh-huh. is a sequel, but it's a, uh, one of those delayed sequels. You know, one of those sequels to a movie that came out a long time ago. I believe it is Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy. $44 million. Because December 2010 was when Jeff Bridges was America's number one movie star. That's true. He had two humongous movies. That's true. Has it's, True Grit come out at this point? Um... No. Maybe a limited? Okay. No. I believe it's the next weekend. It comes out I saw it opening yeah. weekend and it was my brother's birthday. Yes, it came out the next weekend wide yeah. and opened at 24 million. Which was a big opening and then it did, it's another movie that it went made up 171 domestic. Insane. 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 Adjusted for inflation, it made, what, 193. Okay, it's not the big A, a Coen Brothers Western that deliberately has no ending. Uh, I love that movie. That so much. ends with someone walking off mid-sentence. Love that movie so much. Yeah. Don't love Tron Legacy, but Tron Legacy either. is sort of interesting in moments. Kind of looks cool. If you mute it, it's Ooh, great to look. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> my problem with Tron Legacy yeah. is is uh, Ben's got a meme downstairs. Okay, Ben, don't worry. Ben is walking out Ben's the studio door out. to meet the pizza man downstairs. It's MLK, so no one's working in the building. That's today. correct. 
Okay, what um, should we say while Ben's not here? Oh, shit. Uh, Europa. Yeah, Spanglish isn't good. <laughs> Spanglish isn't good. It's, it's not good. It's really fucking bad. It was crazy when I sat down for that record. And Ben was like all about it. And I, we and like like Richard and I like just sort of were dunking on Spanglish for five minutes. As like, one does. It's a fun then, activity. You hang out with friends and who dunk ben on was Spanglish. Like, you know what? It's good. <laughs> Listen to all of that. We so we uh, aren't gonna do our rankings because we're recording at hours. So we no, have, yeah, we still have a uh, a couple of records to do. So right, yeah. so, so we'll we'll do, the, the rankings will come right, next week. Uh, in the the next one, yeah. But um, I uh, I ask you, my dear friend, do you think this or Spanglish is worse? Do I think this or Spanglish is worse? Yeah, I I, I it's tough. It's actually a great question because I went into the mini series thinking Spanglish is definitely better than How Do You Know, and now I. Don't know. I'm I'm thinking hard about this. I think I like How Do You Know more than I like Spanglish. I think the things that work in How Do You Know are better than the things that work in Spanglish. I think Spanglish is a slightly more interesting movie. It's a little more functional, it, but it's also fundamentally It's also fucked. crazier. Right. How Do You Know is a little more of like a sort of like, it's just like someone's heartbeat is just not quite there. You know, it's just sort of like... How do you know? I, I wrote this about Spanglish on Letterboxd, but how do you know I feel even more fits the description? It, it feels like a movie written by an AI program. That was I, my review of it, too. You Did load you, a bunch of rom-coms into a computer, and it's like, okay, I figured out how humans behave. I, my, my review, I think, was that it's a movie uh, set at a theme park uh, designed by aliens about human life. That's what it feels like. Um, it but, like they, the first, but, but it's malfunctioning and yeah. the robots are like, do I love yeah, you? It, it's the West world of romantic comedies. <laughs> like they're questioning their like programming where like yeah. aliens were like, let's design like West world, but it's just 20th, 21st century America, yes. you know, like early 21st century America. <laughs> and Siri did get, I mean, uncredited work, but Siri did punch up on this movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Brooks would just be like, Siri, what's a good line? You know? And yeah. she would be like, how do you know? Yeah. I just don't know if my Later. life is the kind of life that I want to live, you know? What's the one she says? I don't know if the, the, the thing is for me. You know what I'm talking about. She has that line. I do. Whatever. Okay, box office. Let's continue. So, uh, Tron Legacy, yeah. 44 million. I mean, it was a hit. It was. It made 172. Tron Legacy. Just super expensive. Hey. Ben just bought a pizza into the room. The pizza boy is here. The pizza boy is here. All right, number two at the box office. I don't know if I have what it takes for everybody's regular plan. That's the line I was looking for. How what, memorable. What a okay. wonderful line. Yeah. Number two at the Heights? box office. Wow. Wow. Um, is a, an anim... Uh, it's animated. Maybe it's... I think it's sort of a... A hybrid? A hybrid. Uh, an adaptation of a, a, a famous cartoon. Yogi Bear 3D? Good things come in bears. <laughs> uh, Can you deny that that was the tagline for that movie? And not only that, but the poster... Was on one of the bears behind the directly other behind, and one of the and Boo Boo looks surprised. I think I've told this story, but like we all, thank you, Benny, were of an age where old cartoons would be replayed a lot. So you grew up knowing like the classic cartoon characters, like mm -hmm. Yogi Bear. Even though Yogi Bear, it's like you look at it, thank you, Ben, and it was like, oh, they only ever produced like thirty episodes of Yogi Bear, but they continued in syndication for forty years, right? Same with like the Flintstones or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. When Yogi Bear in the movie came out, Romley was like, what the fuck is Yogi Bear? Like she was like 12 at the time, right? And I was like, it's about a bear wow. with a hat who kind of talks like a vaudevillian and steals picnic baskets. And picnic she was like, basket. how is that a premise? <laughs> it's a premise, all right. How do you make a movie of that? But kids didn't even know Jelly who he Stone. was. Yeah. 
Ed TVZ played uh, what's his name? Ranger, whatever. I don't know. Ranger um, you're right, uh, Tom Cavanaugh. Yeah, right. I used to love Ed. Good move. Good good show. Yeah, and he's on the Flash now. He's um. Uh, he's he's like twelve different characters. Yeah, right. Because yeah. he's always turns out like the Zoom multiverse. is him or whatever. Yeah. All right, number so that opened to sixteen million, which I think was somewhat disappointing. But then that, it ended up at a hundred. It made a hundred. Multiply. I'm telling you, the holidays are weird. Oh, of baby. course, people feast. People feast. <laughs> now, number three is the third entry in a Lofockers? No, in um in a, a a franchise that has you've had trouble identifying in the past. It's not chipwrecked. It's a third. It's third and final. I think they keep trying to make a fourth one, though. Interesting. And I've had trouble with it in the past. You took forever identifying one of these ones. And it's live action animated. Hybrid. Mostly live action. Mostly live action. So like one animated character. In its second weekend, it made 12 million en route to a final total of 104. Budget 155. I'm taking lactate to eat this pizza, just in case you're wondering what the Foley work is. En route to 105, live action. Not a big hit. It does clean up internationally. Is it based off something? Mm-hmm. Book? Book. Series of books. Oh, Narnia? Well, which one? Uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Correct. I do always have a tough time. I you forget do. that franchise exists. It's hard to remember. Yes. Number four is a movie that's been in limited release and just jumps, you know, expands sure. this week. Was an Oscar winner this year. It was. It's a drama. It's a biopic. It's a biopic. It won an acting award. It won two acting awards. Two acting awards from 2010. So that is the year in which Best Picture is won by King Speech, which means that wasn't the social network it wasn't the king's speech it was not the king's speech you're saying right good we're all eating pizza we're done with this episode <laughs> it won two acting awards leads or supporting or a mix both supporting it won both supporting best supporting actor in 2010 ben's looking at it he goes hmm it was the first in a run of movies by this director that were like big oscar players. oh it's the fighter that's right now, where do you stand on those two wins? Those two wins? Yeah. I think Bale's really good. I think Leo's fine. Yeah, I think she's fine. She's I, not my favorite. I feel like people have rewritten that to be a full-stop, terrible performance. I think she's fine. I think it's big. It's fine. She whatever. can be bad. Yes, she can. Uh, and she can be good. She's doing what Russell wants. Yes. I think Bale's performance in that is pretty, pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen that movie... Uh, in a long time. I wonder if I would like it at all now. I think I probably would. I mean, I remember walking up and I loved Amy Adams' performance so yeah. much and I liked Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with Bale and Leo, you were more like, well, sure, those are very big Oscar right. performances. But, yeah. I, but I agree. I think Adams is the best performance in that movie. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. So good. Also because she has the least sort of to grab onto and she's doing amazing stuff. Jeez. Number five is an animated film that you love. One of the most expensive films ever made. Uh, Tangled? Tangled. Yeah. You know why it's so expensive? No. Because they kept on trying to make a Rapunzel movie and then shutting it down like it was originally going to be 2D and then they shut down a few years later they'd start it up. And so when they reported the budget of that movie, it included like 
four previous attempts to make that movie. Okay. So it is always cited as like one of the five most expensive movies of all time. But a lot of that's them having to write off development costs for entirely different films. Because the final budget is like $260 million, right? It's like insane. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, that's not super accurate, but it kind of is. The Tourist is up there. America has tourist fever. They're taking the trip. Unstoppable, which rules. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Burlesque, which... Talk about a good last film. Yep. Not this, though. No. Due Date, which you like. Yep. Love and Other Drugs, which is bad. Mm-hmm. The King's Speech, which has only made $2 million so far. Another movie that's fine. Yeah, it's okay. It's like the best movie. Tom Hooper movie because it's the one that somehow is able to transcend his dumb instincts. It's a really solid script. It's a solid movie. Yeah, it's fine. Well, wow. Megamind. Wow, Mater. What an episode. Megamind's in there. Fuck Megamind. Bad movie. Bad movie. Uh, should we talk about what we have coming next? <laughs> yeah, let's announce it. Yeah. Right? Oh, boy. People theorize. They really do love to theorize. They do. And next week, we have a bonus episode. We'll be covering the movie Josie and the Pussycats. And then after that, mm-hmm. our next miniseries. Some of you guessed it. Some of you questioned it. We've talked about him for as long as we've been talking about doing directors. A long time, ladies and gentlemen. We are doing the films of Brad Bird. Because he's got a little a picture coming out And this people summer. think, oh, Brad Bird could be really short. Only has three movies. Actually, wow. it's five. And actually, a six is coming out. We're timing things perfectly. Iron Giant. Boom. Incredibles. Boom. Ratatouille. Boom, boom. Mission Impossible. Ghost Protocol. Which is your favorite action movie the last 10 years. Boom. And then Tomorrowland. Oh, Tomorrowland. Right, of course. Hello. The Blank Check, yes. Yes. And then Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2. We're We're also going to do the Han Solo movie, assuming that comes out. Right. Uh, He didn't direct that. We're just saying that will also happen around this time period. Should have directed that. Yeah. But yes, we're doing him. We're going to get to cover some animation. I'm going to get to talk Pixar. Oh, great, God. great, great. What a hole I've great, dug for myself. Great, great, great. Five hour episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tune in for that. We don't have a name yet. It's probably going to be some mission podcastable. I don't know about that. Is that the best we can do? Pottern Jycast? The, the Incredicast? Yeah, it's, oh boy, they're, this they're is not bad. Because they're all one word titles. I know. Podcast land. No, <laughs> I've heard worse things. I think we have to do Ghost Protocol, which is weird because it'll make it sound like it's a Mission Impossible miniseries. Well, that's that's why I don't want to do it. I know. That's why I don't want to do it either. But sometimes you got to make the tough decisions. You got to send Jack Nicholson to jail. Brad Podcast Bird. Okay, that's what it's called. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. And of course, at this point, March Madness has been settled and we all know that Nancy Myers is the miniseries that we will be doing in the fall. <laughs> I love the future. So we all know. Yeah, yes. I can't wait to talk about The Parent Trap. Especially. <laughs> it's complicated. Which is the one that I have some controversial opinions on. And of course, my controversial opinion is. Complicated. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, damn it. All right. You better mark all of those, man. <laughs> Welcome to the future. What if James L. Brooks uh, comes out of retirement and does a sci-fi movie? Great. We'll, we'll, we'll recover, recover it on this podcast. We've talked about how like all great filmmakers need to make a sci-fi movie. He's got to make his space movie. He's got to make his space mm-hmm. movie. Um, what a, yeah, what a damp way to go out. Okay, well, that's how we're going out, right? That's how we're going out. That's it. Yeah. That's how do it. you know, Ben? We'll do our rankings next episode. Ben doesn't know. I have no idea. Is there anything else we need to do? No. 
And of course, we all know the week of the release of this episode that Donald Trump just admitted on Fox and Friends that Michael Cohen represented him in the Stormy Daniels payoff. And then he <laughs> tweeted about Kanye and Chance the Rapper. And All right. Of, of course, All right. Griffin Newman called for him to fuck off. Great. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, and thank you to uh, We Transfer and to Lightstream for sponsoring the show. And uh, stay tuned for the end of the episode. There's going to be a burger report. Go to blankiesdiary.com for some real nerdy shit. Uh, thanks to Ange for Gouda for our social media, Pat Reynolds and Joe Bowen for our artwork. David has left his seat, walked away from the mic in order to get another slice of the za. Um, Lee Montgomery for a theme song. Did I say that already? Uh, and, and as always, wow, Mayor, wow. Wow, wow Luigi, Guido, <laughs> Sally, Fillmore, wow. Luigi? Guido, Luigi, wow, the two Italian cars, wow. They named one of the cars Guido? Yeah, Guido, he's a, little, he's a little forklift, <laughs> wow. Chick Hicks, Chick Hicks, wow. Thank you for calling the Burger Report hotline. 802-8-BURGER. Please leave a message with your FAMO type of burger and location, and we will try to put it on the podcast if we can. That's 802-8-BURGER. Hello, Blank Check Podcast. This is Adam calling from Los Angeles. I got a fresh burger report for you guys just this past Sunday in L.A., East Hollywood, at Burgers Never Say Die, I saw Tyler, the creator of Odd Future, Wolfgang, Kill Them All, uh, eating a burger. And uh, the great thing about Burgers Never Say Die, I can tell you exactly what he ate, because there's only one kind of burger. It's a double cheeseburger with uh, raw onion, chopped, diced, ketchup, mustard, and uh, some pickle slices on there. So... Very cool. The uh, chef also said that Phil Rosenthal, creator of Everybody Loves Raymond, was coming by to get burgers later, but I cannot confirm if he did as I left before he arrived. Uh, love the show, fellas. Happy holidays and hello, Fennel. I got a cold burger report for you. This is Tony. I served the guy who played Archie Bunker a burger, a bison burger, in Missoula, Montana. Hey guys, just a quick burger report. Um, last summer I went to an Atlanta Braves baseball game and saw none other than Mr. Mark Paul Gossler of Saved by the Bell fame just chowing down on a burger. And he looked like he was having a really good time. It made me happy to see that he was happy, you know. So, um, thanks.